Hello and welcome to the Growing Pastor Podcast, where I invite pastors and Christian leaders to share stories and advice to help you grow as a disciple, leader, and family man. I'm your host, Rob Lauder, and on this episode, I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Danny Aiken. Dr. Aiken's going to share some tips on how to become a better preacher and how you can live out the Great Commission through international missions. So without further ado, let's start the show. All right, welcome to the Growing Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Lauder, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Dr. Danny Aiken. Dr. Aiken is the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, where he lives with his wife, Charlotte. He has four children, Nathan, Jonathan, Paul, and Tim, uh, who are involved in ministry. And he's here today to talk about some of the ministry areas that he's passionate about, particularly missions and expository preaching. So Dr. Dr. Aiken, it's so good to have you on the show. Rob, thank you. I'm honored to be a part of it. Um, Dr. Aiken, I like to start out each show with giving listeners kind of the highlight reel of your ministry story. So what are some of the milestones in your ministry journey that God has brought you through? And what are some of the things that he's taught you as he's brought you through them? Well, I was uh, converted at the age of 10 and blessed to grow up in a Christian home. But uh, like too many teenagers, I didn't walk with the Lord during those years and uh, uh, got involved in a lot of things. Athletics was a good thing, but some other habits not so good. But when I was 19 years old, the Lord really got a hold of my life uh, in a very painful way, actually. And uh, I recommitted my life to Christ. And I've told people that my recommitment in some ways was more life-changing than even my conversion. And so I began to walk with the Lord, get involved in the church, sharing the gospel, growing in Bible study. And on a mission trip on a Indian reservation in uh, Sales, Arizona, in 1977 in an old-fashioned kind of revival service uh, god called me into the ministry and uh, i've shared with folks that uh, though i went through a brief period of time doubting my salvation i've never doubted my call to ministry and be honest with you i didn't even have a paradigm for how all of this would work but i've never doubted after that uh, evening service that this is what the lord wanted for my life so perhaps like some listening i went to my pastor and i said what do you do and uh, he said well there are a couple of routes you can pursue one is you can go to college get a degree he said maybe like something history or political science and then go to seminary and uh, i said well that sounds fine what's a seminary i have no idea what a seminary was and he said well that's a place where you go to get trained to be a pastor and i said well that makes sense and I said, what's the other option? He said, well, the other option is there's a small Bible college in Dallas, Texas. I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, in Dallas, Texas, that I think very highly of. And uh, if you wanted to get started right now in terms of your training, you could go there and then go to seminary. And so uh, I said to him, well, I'd like to get started now. So uh, in August of 1977, I left Atlanta, Georgia, moved to Dallas, Texas to uh, begin attending Criswell College. Uh, A year later, uh, not quite a year later, I would marry my wife, Charlotte. Uh, We were very young, 21 and 19, but uh, I wouldn't change a thing about it except maybe marry her a year earlier. And uh, so I moved to Dallas, uh, back to Dallas with her, married, and did my schooling there, then went to Southwestern Seminary, did my MDiv there, and then felt led of the Lord in my latter year at Southwestern that I might want to pursue a PhD. At the time, uh, Rob, I was thinking I wanted to be a pastor who had a PhD because there were not many evangelical, uh, Bible-believing pastors who had that terminal degree. 
And so that was my plan. But uh, in the midst of uh, pursuing that degree, I began to teach adjunctively again at Crystal College where I had attended and really felt a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction, got good feedback uh, from the students in the classes. And so uh, in 1988, uh, the Lord led me to leave uh, pastoral ministries where I'd served for nine years in two different churches. And uh, I went to Crystal College to begin teaching. Uh, within six months, I was the dean of students. That in of itself is a funny story. And uh, I've been in the academic world ever since. And um, I love it. Uh, I do love the fact, though, that I also preach almost every Sunday. I'm a, the Wednesday night Bible teacher at our church so that I can contribute in, in some ways other than just giving my, my financial resources. And so that's kind of the pilgrimage that brought me to where I am today. People sometimes ask me, well, did you aspire to be a seminary president? And I, I always chuckle. And I say, well, when I got called into the ministry, I didn't even know seminaries existed. So no, I never thought I would be doing uh, what I do today, but I have no doubt uh, this was God's purpose and plan for my life. And what I've discovered in life is no matter where you are, if you are in God's will, that's a good place to be. It may not be easy or comfortable, but uh, it is the best place to be. We're going to uh, talk about your passion for expository preaching in this interview as well, but I want to f- zoom in on one uh, detail of your story, and that was when you said that while you were at the Indian Reservation in Arizona, mm-hmm. that you um, you felt God's call into ministry, and that while you've doubted your salvation in, in seasons, you've never doubted that call. So what was the experience that, uh, that you had um, at that Indian, Indian Reservation, and how did God's call show up? in your life? Well, it was the first mission trip I'd ever been on, and so I was very excited just to be a part of that. Uh, We did uh, vacation Bible schools, backyard Bible clubs there in sales as well as uh, villages that were out from uh, that major city uh, on the Indian Reservation. Uh, During the day, I actually stepped into a fire ant bed and got stung several times in my leg. It felt like somebody had taken a knife and rammed it into my leg. And uh, it was hot. Oh, my goodness. It was about 115 degrees. And so that evening, I determined I wasn't going to go to the revival service. I was going to make a whiny excuse about uh, not feeling well. But uh, at the last minute, I said, no, I'm here to to serve, and I also need to be involved in the service tonight, so uh, I'll attend. And I can't explain it. People that know me know that I'm not a deeply uh, subjective uh, subjectivistic kind of person. But uh, during the service, I just began to sense God moving in my soul. And when the uh, pastor gave the invitation, I sensed in my heart that I needed to respond and share with uh, all those that had come on the mission trip, about 70 of us that went out there to work, uh, that God had called me into the ministry. I'd been thinking about it for several months, um, but I pushed it aside thinking, number one, God couldn't call me. Two, he couldn't use someone like me. And then uh, thirdly, I just was uh, being uh, enamored with my pastor and student pastor whom I looked up to. And uh, so I kept trying to push that out of my mind. But that night I just became, I mean, it's like I had a huge weight on the inside of me that said, this is just what God has called you to do. 
And I guess what is encouraging after I made that public acknowledgement going forward in a very traditional, like I said, revival service, uh, almost everybody in our student ministry said, well, we're not surprised. We saw this coming. We saw how God was working in your life and moving. We were just waiting for you to recognize it. And so one of the things I would say to young men that are listening to this is uh, not only did I have a personal uh, confidence that God was leading me in this direction, my, uh, my friends, uh, those that I was close to were very, very affirming. Uh, and we see this in your life too. We believe God is working in this way as well. And uh, that was a, just confirmation that I think uh, we should look for. Uh, if you sense God's calling into ministry and for whatever reason, all of those who know you best and love you the most say, wait a minute, we're not sure about this. You are at least slow down a little bit. Now, ultimately, we're not responsible to anyone but God. Uh, in fact, people often ask me, do you have a philosophy of life? I do. It's very simple. All that matters in life is that you please God. That's it. You please Him. You won't live with ulcers and high blood pressure, and you'll be able to look yourself in the mirror every day. But I do believe God works through our brothers and sisters in Christ, giving us confirmation, using them to give us direction. And so it was a blessing to me that uh, no one said, oh, you got to be kidding uh, you, you must have gotten the wrong number. No, all of them were very affirming that we see this in your life too. That's good. I, um, I, I spoke on a podcast a few weeks ago about uh, my ministry story and my journey. Um, and much like you, I'm a, a very rational and intellectual person. Um, and I don't often put a lot of weight on subjective experience. Right. Um, but there are, are two, uh, two seasons in my life um, that happened to be about three weeks apart. One was my salvation and two was my sense of God calling me into ministry that were just things that I could not rationalize or explain. Well, I'd say the same thing. The only other time in my life where I felt the internal weight, uh, I mean, I thought I was going to get crushed on the inside was when I was converted. And I was 10 years old, but I still remember coming home on a Sunday night after church. And on the inside, I just had this enormous feeling of weight and troubling in my soul. And my parents recognized something was bothering me. And they asked me, what's, what's, what's wrong? And I simply said to them, I know that I am a sinner and I know that I need to be saved. And I, as a 10-year-old boy, didn't know a whole lot, but I knew enough to say that I know that Jesus loves me and that he died for my sins and I want him into my life. And so I'm kind of like you. Those two times in my life in particular, I felt this kind of internal awareness and weight. As I look back on it, I believe was absolutely the Holy Spirit working in my life. I think that um, one thing that uh, at least my peers uh, have expressed is that uh, as they go about their ministry, there's almost this pressure that if you don't feel that like 24 seven, that, um, that you're not walking with the Lord. But you mentioned that um, one of the, uh, the, the blessings that God put in your life as you started to um, explore that call to ministry was you had brothers and sisters who knew you and could affirm your gifts. And so maybe talk to us real briefly about how, um, how, what are some other ways that God can confirm uh, calling, can speak to you, can lead you without, you know, that, that um, maybe that immediate and 
subjective awareness of what he's doing. Sure. And, and I want to be clear. I think we both would agree. God uh, works in different ways in people's lives, and he calls in different ways. But I do think if one is going to pursue ministry in some form, there needs to be in your heart a settled conviction. This is what God wants to do with my life. Uh, if you don't have that, uh, I don't think you'll survive. I don't think that you'll go the distance because ministry is wonderful, but it's also very hard work. Uh, ministry has enormous blessings, but there are times where you, you, you just get crushed and you're, you're heartbroken with disappointment. What sustains you when those valleys come and things are difficult? And I think the answer is, I know this is what God has called me to do. Now, to follow up on your question then, I think one of the things that happens is you will have an uh, insatiable desire to know the Word of God. And, and again, I, I have no memory of reading a book or writing a paper in high school. I went to one of those kinds of schools. I may have, I don't remember. And so I was very ill-prepared to begin the rigors of study that are essential when it comes to being faithful in ministry. But all of a sudden, as a 20-year-old, I fell in love with reading, and I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to read books about the Bible. I wanted to read theology books. I wanted to read books on apologetics and evangelism and church history. And uh, I just began to love to study the things of God. Then secondly, a, a desire to teach. Uh, I had never had that before. I was like most folks, terrified to speak in front of any kind of audience, whether it be five people, 50 people, or whatever. But in my heart, I wanted to teach. And when I began to study and teach, I sensed, again, the Lord's pleasure uh, and His blessing and a fulfillment and satisfaction that really I'd never known before. And so I think when men are considering ministry, if you, if you have no desire to study God's Word, I don't think God's calling you. If you have no desire to share the gospel with lost people, I seriously doubt God is calling you. I think, you know, Paul challenges us to do the work of an evangelist, but I think God will place within our heart a desire to do the work of an evangelist and a desire to preach the Word uh, and a desire to shepherd and care for people. Um, I often say it this way, uh, things that at one time meant everything to me suddenly just kind of vanished from my radar screen. And things that I had never really thought much about before, the, the destiny of people's souls, the nations and their lostness, uh, delving uh, into God's Word, suddenly those became my consuming passions. And so I think those things will accompany uh, a sense of calling, whether it's a very subjective thing like with you and me, which surprised us both, or it comes in some other kind of a way. Yeah, so, and one of those things being, of course, missions and a call to the nations. Um, so uh, I, I spent the afternoon on campus and um, as I was walking to your office, uh, it is unmistakable as you walk across Southeastern's campus what Southeastern is about, and that's the Great Commission. Yes. Every classroom, a Great Commission classroom. So um, I want to hear about your personal interaction with the Great Commission, but I also want to hear um, what's Southeastern's uh, vision for how Southeastern and the seminary fits into that, and then how is Southeastern uh, 
preparing students to go to the nations? Well, I think the seed for having a heart for the nations was planted uh, when God called me to ministry on a mission trip. Even though it was not outside uh, the boundaries of the U.S., uh, I had never traveled uh, further than a couple of hundred miles from my house. And now we've left uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and we're in Sales, Arizona, just outside of Tucson, in a radically different world than I'd ever been a part of. And so I think the seed, and I, and I saw God work. We saw uh, young uh, children come to faith in Christ. We saw adults come to faith in Christ. And so I think the Lord used that to plant the seed. Then um, I was a part of a church. Uh, that believed in giving to missions. Now, the two churches I was a part of were big on giving, but we really weren't sending anybody. Uh, And so that came along later. But uh, as I got involved uh, in uh, teaching at Crystal College, uh, I had the chance to go a little bit earlier than that to Australia, then later to Thailand. And I got to see the massive, massive, massive lostness of the world and what it's like to be in a place where people don't even know the name of Jesus. And it just broke my heart. And so over time, God has just continued to nourish that so that when I came to Southeastern 13 years ago, we already had in place this wonderful program called the 2 Plus 2 program, two years on our campus, doing 60 hours of an MDiv, two years on the mission field in partnership with the International Mission Board. And at the end of those four years, you've got your master's degree and you're eligible to be considered for career appointment uh, with the IMB. Well, my wife and I make a commitment every January to go overseas to be with these students, uh, to just hear their stories, see what they're doing, and uh, to encourage them. And so I just got back uh, just uh, a week or so ago from both Korea and Thailand. We had students that came to Chiang Mai that are serving the Lord today, right now. They're classmates of Southeastern Seminary students in uh, China, India, Bangladesh, uh, the Czech Republic, Bulgaria. And uh, some of them are seeing great harvest like in India. Some of them, I playfully say, are sowing the seeds of the gospel on concrete in the Czech Republic and Bulgaria. And yet they do see God working and they see God moving. And I'll tell you, every time I go over, uh, it's a shot in the arm. It it uh, re-energizes me for the work that I do here. And it helps me realize that we as Southern Baptists, though we've got all sorts of phobials and shortcomings, we're really doing something worthwhile and something that really matters with our international mission efforts. And as a result of that, I want a seminary that serves well the International Mission Board. I want a seminary that serves well the North American Mission board helping plant churches in the underserved and unreached areas of North America. But uh, as you said earlier, we are a great commission seminary. Uh, Every classroom, a great commission classroom. Well, my prayer is every graduate, a great commission graduate who will go out and be a part of and help build great commission churches. Because you and I both know the vast majority of Christians are not going to be international missionaries. But all of us are called to have a missionary heart, a missionary perspective, and to be involved in helping fulfill the great commission. So my prayer is God will use us to train thousands and thousands of faithful, missionary-minded, great commission-minded pastors who will build great commission churches. Amen. 
So I am strongly considering taking my first mission trip uh, this October awesome. with um, with Freedom Global in Kenya um, and possibly even leading that trip. So maybe take a minute to um, speak to what advice you would give to somebody in my position, uh, maybe address some of the fears that come along with international missions, um, some of the experiences that they might experience when they go overseas and how that might change them when they come back. Uh, blessed are the flexible. Uh, for they will not lose their mind. And so uh, if you're the type of person that likes to cross uh, every T and dot every I, uh, get ready to be disappointed because I have never been on an international mission endeavor where something did not go contrary to what I thought, hoped, or expected. And so if you get all stressed out over that, it's going to be a tough experience. If, on the other hand, you realize God is sovereign he knew all this in advance. I can roll with the punches, and I can adjust as I need to on the fly. You'll be just fine. Uh, recognize that the jet lag can be a real bear, and so uh, try to, when you first get there, if at all possible, get a day's rest, uh, because if that can happen, then it will change the way you look and are able to uh, engage everything uh, after that. And then just be ready for God to just do some amazing things in, in your life. I know that I've been to places where we've seen great harvest. I've been to other places where we saw no conversions. But God did a work in me, and God did a growing uh, of my soul uh, that uh, was worth the whole trip, whether I saw someone repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ right there. Furthermore, it reminds me, as Paul taught us, uh, some people uh, sow and some people reap. God brings the harvest. So sometimes you go to a place where you get to reap the benefits of other people sowing. In other cases, one of my sons, for example, served several years in uh, Turkey. Well, he was there doing a lot of sowing. He did not see many people converted during his time there, but he sowed a lot of gospel seed that I believe will bear fruit in, the, in, in God's time as he brings about the harvest. So you just recognize I have a particular uh, role and assignment to play while I'm here. I'll be faithful to do that and trust God to bring the results and the fruit in his time and in his way. That's good. Um, so in addition to missions, I know another uh, area that you're passionate about is expository preaching. I think the two go hand in hand. Indeed. And I've been uh, blessed to learn from you in multiple contexts, conferences like Nine Marks, uh, and then I took your uh, your. Um, Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics course on MOOC, um, which is your uh, where, where uh, prospective students or people who just want to learn and grow more Don't cost them a dime. can get it for free, and it's on Southeastern's website. Uh, so if you're listening and are, are looking for ways to grow as a pastor, I would highly recommend that. Um, so I've learned a lot from you in, in that area. So, But for, for those who maybe haven't encountered that phrase before, expository preaching, mm -hmm. uh, would you elaborate on what is expository preaching and why is it so important in the church today? Well, expository preaching is that approach to preaching that honors the text. It's in fact, I was part of a book entitled Text-Driven Preaching, so that the text of Scripture uh, is the king. It determines both the content, uh, uh, substance, if you like, and the structure of a text. And the, the text itself is going to determine the sermon. One way that I like to say it is, uh, as an expositor, I'm going to preach book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, 
word by word, and I'm going to honor the authorly intended meaning of a text that was deposited there through a human author by the Holy Spirit. And so it is preaching that honors the text of Scripture as it was given. But I also believe that faithful exposition will be engaging exposition. In fact, maybe the only original thing I've ever come up with in my life, and I, I'm sure somebody said before me, but I haven't found it yet, so I'm still claiming it is mine until that day comes. But I will say to my students, what you say is more important than how you say it. But how you say it has never been more important. So the what, the content of the Bible, that's the most important thing. If you just faithfully teach the Bible, even if you're not a very dynamic uh, communicator, even if you don't have really good grammar or diction, God promises to honor his word. But especially in the Western world and in America, in the day in which we live, people don't have to listen to bad preaching. So you need to ask God uh, to give you the ability and to allow you to have avenues to hone your skills to the very best that they can be uh, carried out so that, again, uh, you're preaching God's good word in a good way. And uh, therefore, you remember, what I say is more important than how I say it, but how I say it is very important. Mm -hmm. And so faithful exposition with an engaging delivery uh, is a wonderful package uh, for uh, a church to be able to sit under week after week after week as they hear the word taught by their pastor. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, the criticisms that I hear of expository preaching is that it's dry or that it's boring. And uh, I think that absolutely, if you just kind of say, this is you know, the, the verse, and here's what it means, and here's the verse, and here's what it means, and it can be very dry, but then the Lord gives us creativity, and the Lord gives us um, that, uh, the, you know, illustrations that are relevant to our lives and to our our hearers as well that um, that help bring life to the text. But I think, like you mentioned, it's, it's important to have the text as this is your foundation, and if you have that and nothing else, then you're in a good place. But if you don't have that, you have everything else. Exactly. You have nothing else. No, expository preaching is not boring. Uh, Some who try to do expository preaching may be boring. And so I would quickly say, I don't think that uh, David Platt or John Piper or Matt Chandler or Mark Dever or John MacArthur or David Jeremiah, and I keep going for a long time, are boring preachers. And every one of them, though they do it differently, are faithful expository preachers. And so it's not that expository preaching is dull and boring. Uh, It is that some preachers are dull and boring. All right. Um, What are some practical ways that a young pastor can grow as a preacher? First and foremost, I would encourage him to try to find an older, godly mentor that he can learn from, that he can just follow around, that he can watch, that he can ask questions of. Uh, There's just some blessings that come with uh, age and and maturity and experience. And one of the neat things I see in this day and time is young pastors wanting that. In fact, maybe some of my friends aren't as quick to provide that as they should be, but I sense among young men in particular, they want to be mentored. They want an older father in the ministry uh, that they can call upon and go to for counsel and wisdom. So I would say that would be the first thing. Secondly, if at all possible, get training. I don't think seminary is for everybody, but I think it should be for everybody who can get it. Do you have to go to seminary to be a faithful pastor and preacher? No, but it can certainly help. Um, Billy Graham, I can remember many years ago, asked 
uh, was asked, if you had anything that you could do over in your ministry, what would you do? And Dr. Graham did not even hesitate. He said, I would have gotten more education. It would have made me, I think, more effective. Now I'm thinking, my goodness, how could you be more effective than Dr. Graham already was? But he recognized the benefit and blessing that would come with additional training. So find some avenue, whether it's seminary, whether it is doing something online, whether it is Bible college, whether it is being part of a mentoring group, because I think all of those are valuable. Find some way to get further training and bring your life under an older godly mentor that can be your go-to guy for counsel and wisdom. Yeah, I recently interviewed Cam Triggs, who's one of our church planners from Summit, um, and he'll be going to Orlando. Uh, this spring, and he, he's an RTS grad, but he mentioned that your training is essential. Seminary may not be, and so I agree uh, with the, you. the important um, uh, discipline of growing and learning is essential. Well, and the blessing of seminary is that it does provide built-in discipline. Some of us need to have something that helps us hone those disciplinary skills. And going to seminary will certainly give you a a, a shot in the arm in that regard. Yeah, I I was going to ask you, what are some other ways that seminary is uniquely equipped to prepare young pastors or prospective pastors for ministry in a way that um, other avenues might not be? Well, you do have the opportunity to sit under godly men and women who are experts in their field. In fact, I will often say this was a great question, uh, Rob. I will say to people, look, I, I don't think a seminary does anything that a local church could not do, but a seminary is set up to do certain things more easily than a local church. You're part of Summit, which is a large, large church. But it would be hard for even the summit to provide everything in terms of a theological education that you can get in a seminary, Greek, Hebrew, philosophy, ethics, church history, um, evangelism, missions, uh, training to be an expository preacher, Old Testament, New Testament. It's just the seminaries, by God's grace, have been set up, if they're done right, to be servants of the church. And so they can come alongside and do things more easily than a local church, even a large one, is capable of doing. So that's why, again, I say if we're serving the churches well, then we are fulfilling our purpose. If we're not, then we really have no reason to exist. The flip side of that is what are some uh, some aspects of growing and training as a pastor that local churches are better equipped than a seminary might be? Well, I often say there's some things that can only be taught in the laboratory and the refining fire of the local church. And so when it comes to dealing with real life situations and real life people, you can't get that in a seminary classroom. You have to get that in the experience of life in the local church. Furthermore, life in the local church will keep a theologian from becoming an ivory tower egghead because it keeps your feet on the ground when you're dealing with the real problems of real people virtually every single day. And uh, furthermore, it's in in engaging people uh, that you mature and grow and learn how to shepherd people. You can't learn to shepherd people uh, in a classroom. As Johnny Hunt wonderfully says, uh, shepherds get smelly because they spend time with their sheep. 
Well, that can't happen in a seminary. That can only happen in a local church, which is, again, why I uh, will say uh, repeatedly around here, I think the best theological education takes place in a partnership between a seminary and a local church. There are some things we can provide more easily, but there are some things you can only learn in the life and ministry of a local church. So one of the things that you mentioned as you were called into ministry and you went back and spoke with your pastor and he said, "What's do you want to get started now or do you want to go to seminary? And right. He said, I want to get started now. Um, and so he pointed you to Bible college. Um, for maybe some some people listening who might not have readily available access to seminary or even a, a Bible college, what are some opportunities maybe through Southeastern or through other resources that they can get started now with their theological education? Well, one of the neat things about our world today is the gift of technology. And Southeastern has both a full bachelor's of arts degree completely online. We have six master's degrees that are completely online degrees. So if someone is adept at a computer and technology, uh, they would have an easy avenue to get training right where they are. I still think it's best if they can get to the campus, but I realize sometimes that's just not a possibility. So you've got those avenues. And then there are other wonderful ministries out there today, Desiring God Ministries with John Piper, uh, Nine Marks Ministries with Mark Dever. Uh, You've got uh, these avenues, uh, Radical uh, with David Platt. Uh, the North American Mission Board now, under the leadership of Kevin Zell, is working very, very hard to network with local church pastors and to assist them in getting training. And so there are all these avenues now that uh, even 10, 15 years ago weren't available, but because of the way the world is uh, shaping up and the way technology is uh, is availing itself, you've got opportunities now that before didn't even exist. And one of the things I say to guys, look, I think good preachers listen to good preachers, or maybe better, good preachers listen to great preachers. Well, there is no end to the free material that's out there now. When I, for example, teach through a book of the Bible, uh, I will go online and I will locate five or six really faithful expositors, and I'll download their messages. And in addition to the commentary work I do and the work in the Greek or Hebrew text that I do, I listen to good preaching because I want to hear how other godly men have handled the same text of Scripture that I'm going to handle, and it enriches my life and blesses me, and it helps me, I think, be a better preacher as well. That's great. I think uh, there's two temptations that aspiring preachers uh, can fall into. One is that I need to be completely unique right off the bat and have you know, my own angle on everything. And as the author of Ecclesiastes tells us, there's nothing new under the sun. Exactly. Um, but then on the other perspective, it's really easy to like find that favorite preacher and then you almost become uh, a copycat uh, in, in mannerism and in style. Um, what are some ways that a, uh, a prospective uh, pastor could uh, grow, model faithful preachers, but then also find their own voice? Well, one of my heroes uh, in the ministry was Adrian Rogers. And Dr. Rogers used to save his own preaching. Uh, I milk a lot of cows, but I churn my own butter. And so I think if you're listening to a significant number of men, uh, it's going to be unlikely that you begin to parrot or mimic, uh, copycat any one of them. So for me, I try to listen to different men for different reasons. And uh, I, I realize that I just need to be who I am, yet I can learn from everyone. And so if I'm learning from them as opposed to copying them, 
I think that will just having that as a as a very clear uh, thought in my mind that'll keep me from going down that path. And then recognizing again, if I milk a lot of different cows, I listen to a lot of different men, and then I mix it together so that it comes out as a Danny Aiken original, if you if I can say it that way, then I will both benefit from these men. Uh, while not plagiarizing them. And I would say very quickly to these are listening, uh, to preach somebody else's sermon and to not give them credit, uh, that is a form of plagiarism. And in due time, it will, it will impact your ministry negatively, could even cost you your job. And so again, um, we're not out there to mimic any one person. We're to be the person God saved us, called us, and gifted us to be. Learn from them, but recognize there are uh, parameters uh, that ought to guide us in what we're doing there. Last question before we wrap up. So a, um, one of the qualifications of an elder in the local church is to be able to teach. Yes. Um, does that look the same for every teacher? Uh, and, and maybe talk about some, some different ways that um, pastors and leaders can teach in the church and live out that, uh, that qualification. Sure. Well, I think every elder must be uh, qualified to teach or else they are not qualified to be an elder. Does that mean that every elder is going to be the lead pastor, the senior pastor, don't care what term you use, that is the primary uh, one who fills the, the pulpit? No. Uh, that uh, teaching ministry may flesh itself out in a Bible study class. It may flesh itself out in a home study class. It may flesh itself out as you teach a men's group. It may flesh itself out in the way that you instruct children. Uh, I could very, in other words, if I had a man that was working regularly with children but teaching them faithfully the Word of God, do I think he could indeed also be qualified as an elder? Absolutely. And so there'll be a plethora of ways in which the teaching ministry will show itself and work itself out. But I do believe everyone who is called to be an elder is called to be a teacher, and they will have some form of ongoing, consistent teaching ministry. Though, again, that does not necessitate it being from the pulpit. There are some that are more gifted for that very public, large gathering sex, uh, a session of, of God's people, and that's fine. That's what they should be doing. But there are others that, though they don't excel there, Man, they are absolutely phenomenal with a small group of men or a small group of women. And so praise God for that. Let them exercise their gift through the best vehicle that meets, uh, that, that fits the gifts that God has given them. I said last question, but that brought up one more okay. follow-up to that question. Um, for the young leader or uh, who, who is looking to find teaching opportunities, who desires to teach God's Word, mm-hmm. um, but may not have the title uh, or the office of elder at this point, what are some um, practical ways that he can get started in teaching in the local church? Well, um, I know a lot of guys that got started by speaking and preaching in nursing homes. And uh, you have a ready audience there. The, a lot of the people that are there uh, are lonely uh, for whatever reason. Some of them, their families, either maybe because they don't have family or their families some far off. 
They, they, they long for anyone that would come and just take a few minutes to spend time with them. And so I know I learned to do some preaching initially uh, in the nursing home context. I also did street preaching. I don't know how that would work today in most contexts, but we used to go down on the street corner and preach. And uh, so there are opportunities if you will look for them. And one of the ways of, uh, you know, preaching is like riding a bicycle. You get better by doing it. And uh, another way is I know one of my sons uh, went on his uh, first mission trip or second mission trip to the Philippines, and uh, he was asked to speak five times a day for two weeks. Well, he preached more in two weeks than he'd preached in five years. And so that was a good experience for him. So there are avenues. You just have to look for them. And then when those opportunities present themselves, don't say, well, I'm too good for that. Or I'm not good enough for that. No, you trust that God has opened that door, and you take advantage of it. One of uh, one of my first uh, teaching opportunities was I had tried out for the worship team at my church, and our worship pastor said, "Go make a joyful noise in the fifth and sixth grade ministry." Um, and so I started leading worship for middle schoolers, um, but through that had some opportunities to to teach messages there. And then also um, I'm a, a Boy Scout, and I served at a Boy Scout camp for 15 years, um, and had some some of my first teaching opportunities teaching the after dinner vesper services, which are like short mm-hmm. messages. Um, for the scouts. And so, um, like you said, there's a, a temptation there to be like, well, you know, that's, that's small time, but then it's, it's any opportunity that you Absolutely. can take to teach and to let God work in you and through you to grow that skill and that passion and desire. And I just know this, when I first got called into the ministry, the fact that I would get a chance to speak anywhere honored me. I just, I couldn't believe that God had called me to do this. And so if someone said, well, you can go down and speak to this nursing home, there'll be 12 people there. Wow. I would have jumped at it uh, simply because I thought it was, and, and you know what? I still think that it is a great honor and a great privilege to be called by God to proclaim the gospel and to teach his word. Amen. So um, for those listening, if they want to learn more about you or follow some of your work, where can they, where can they find you online? I have a website, uh, danielaken.com, with lots of teaching material there. It's all free, so they can go there. They can also go to uh, scbts.edu, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and they can locate the president's account there. And I'm happy to assist and help and uh, aid those that uh, would call upon me any way I can. Well, Dr. Aiken, thank you so much for taking some time out. My honor. I was having a a conversation with a friend of mine who's a Southeastern student and, uh, you know, shared that I was going to be here interviewing you today. And he said, man, like, you've got some big hitters on your podcast. (laughs) Um, And I was was just, my response was like, I am humbled and blessed that you would take time out of your day to uh, invest in young leaders and to reproduce yourself in that way. So I'm humbled and blessed that you would ask. So thank you. All right, that's all for this episode of the Growing Pastor Podcast. If you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Danny Aiken and you'd like to hear more conversations just like it, check out the Growing Pastor Podcast on iTunes or Google Play where you can get caught up on conversations with leaders like LifeWay's Eric Geiger, church planning pastor Cam Triggs, and Christian Memes founder Michael Schaefer. While you're there, be sure to subscribe and share. If you'd like to be a guest on the Growing Pastor Podcast, or if there's a specific pastor or leader who you would like me to have on the show, visit my website, roblauder.com, and click the podcast link and shoot me an email or find me on Twitter at Rob Lauder. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.